This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. And welcome, everybody. This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. I am your host, John Allen. And today I am speaking with Mr. Keith Redmond. How are you doing, Keith? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. I need another cup of coffee. So if you hear me slurping during this uh, conversation, it's because I'm just fueling up on my caffeine for the day. Not a problem. I'm in the same boat. <laughs> ah, there you go. There you, yeah, it's real early there in D.C. Yeah, I'm currently in Washington, D.C., normally based in Paris, but I am here dealing with some family issues during this COVID situation. Yes, and you and I spoke about that on the telephone earlier. My uh, heart goes out to you, and I, and I wish you and your family well. I just want to say that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. It's a bit of a tenuous situation, but you do what you have to do for family. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I want to talk about what led you to France, to Paris, France, but I want to get to that later. I'd like to start off by talking about what it is uh, you do, your focus as an advocate for Americans who are abroad. For expats, and sure. you you are very involved in the foreign account tax compliance. In other words, um, the law that states that American expats still have to submit a tax return to the IRS. That is a big subject. That is a big deal. Can you talk to me a little bit about what it is you're doing? What is it you're advocating for? Sure. And I think that kind of lends itself into just giving a little bit of a background on Please. why I'm involved Please. is that I'm, I'm American, but I'm also French and I am uh, technically based in uh, Paris, but I'm spending time in the U.S. right now, as I stated before. And so this subject is near and dear to me. And um, normally, my other hat is I work in the pharmaceutical biotechnology industry. Um, oh, that wow. is my first, uh, uh, how would you say in English, met, uh, metier, if you will, my first uh, area in my career, okay. starting out at the NIH in Bethesda, Maryland, and then going to Sanofi in France, and then the rest of my career has been in Europe. Um, what got me involved in this, which is a completely different hat, if you will, than what the industry that I was in, is that um, back in 2010, I was told about FATCA, the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act, yeah. by a fellow American overseas who's involved with one of the American political organizations. And I knew nothing about it, and I did my research and saw that the writing on the wall that this was going to be a problem for Americans overseas. Let, let me just, just ask you, 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 heard yeah. about, you first heard about FATCA in 2010? How long, 2010, how long yeah. had you been out of the United States at that time? At that time, it, oh, God, let me see. By that time, probably about, you're making me think, <laughs> probably about 15 years. Okay. So okay. I wasn't new outside the United States. But you were new to that information, new to the fact that FATCA existed. Right. It was Well, I knew it because it was signed into law. It was part of the Higher Act at that time, oh. and this was on the uh, heels of the 2008 Great Recession. 
And this Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act was put in as a rider, if you will, into the Higher Act, which was signed into law. So after it was signed into law, before it started being um, the IGAs, the intergovernmental agreements between different countries in the U.S. to implement fact in the different countries is when I was briefed on this particular law. And as I did my research, I saw that this was going to be a problem um, and I didn't realize how big of a problem it was going to be until things started moving forward. But I knew it was going to be a problem with financial institutions in the various countries where Americans overseas were residing. And that it was going to be a problem as in, in regards to how the U.S. taxes Um, practices its taxation outside the United States. But it just grew from there because not only did FATCA put on the front burner of citizenship-based taxation, which the U.S. practices, which is the only country uh, aside from Eritrea, a small African country that practices in this way. And and conversely, just to clarify for my listeners, Citizen-based taxation, as you said, uh, is what the United States does, whereas other countries do what I believe is called uh, residence-based taxation. In other words, if you live in that country, you'll be taxed. If you don't live in that country, you have no tax responsibilities. Exactly, with obviously some exceptions. For example, let's say, just hypothetically, I'm a French expat in the United States. I'm not going to be taxed by France unless I have, let's say, property in France or something like that. Um, but, uh, But otherwise, no. But as an American, you are taxed on your worldwide income and everything else no matter where you live in the world. And what FATCA has done has put on the front burner, the, it's the enforcement tool of CBT, citizenship-based taxation. So not only is that an issue right there in that particular bucket, but FATCA had its, has its own issues and consequences just by the implementation of FATCA in the different countries, meaning the denial of bank accounts, the denial of retirement accounts, um, the denial of mortgages or mortgages being rescinded. Um, even the denial of, an, uh, of employment based on um, an individual's uh, responsibility if they have some type of uh, financial responsibility in a company. So it's all-encompassing. And to add one last point, to add really the most uh, egregious aspect of this, that it is the genesis of an exponentially growing population of accidental Americans. Explain that to me. That is floating around in a lot of uh, social media groups uh, where expats are are discussing this whole thing about being taxed. Uh, What is an accidental American? Well, an accidental American, and I'll give you the the basic, clean, clear, concise um, example of an accidental American. So I always use France as an example, but it could be Germany, Japan, Australia, or any other country. But just for the purposes to keep it simple, I'll use France. So let's say you have a French couple who are in the United States for 
who knows what reason they're studying there or somebody was on assignment there, etc. They have a child. That child is born in the United States. As a result of that child being born in the United States, they are a U.S. citizen. Okay, yes. so that couple takes that child literally in diapers and moves, let's say, back to France. Yeah. That child is still a U.S. citizen, okay? So for many years, no big deal. Um, either that child maintained through the parents a U.S. passport, or maybe not. That has happened as well, where that child has never had a U.S. passport. Fast forward to FATCA. Yeah. And with the implementation of FATCA, these individuals get a letter from their bank. And their bank states to them, we've identified you as a U.S. person based on your place of birth. Please provide us as either a social security number or a certificate of loss of nationality, meaning that you've renounced your U.S. citizenship. Yeah. Otherwise, your bank account will be closed. Okay? And that is such a... That's the trigger. That is a, that is a very traumatic experience. I know people, I know Americans here in Norway who have gotten that letter and all of a sudden their bank accounts are closed. All of a the sudden they find this out when they are applying for their first home loan. And they're finding out that they can't do that. That, is, that, puts, a big, that puts the brakes on someone's life. Things well, like it puts happen. the brakes on someone's like, life, uh, life uh, in, in two ways. One, just by what you just stated, that they're denying, uh, they're either getting their bank accounts closed or being denied a mortgage or denied a retirement account or re denied an investment account. But it also puts in front of them that they were supposed to file U.S. tax declaration and pay any U.S. taxes owed since they've been working and yes. they had absolutely no clue because one there's a number of them who don't have u.s passports they don't even speak english um they have no ties to the u.s aside from the unfortunate life event of a u.s birth and they're put in this terrible situation yes, yes. um with this and fortunately um, there's a gentleman in France uh, who contacted me initially because of this by the name of Fabien Lahagra, who has really spearheaded a grassroots organization, the Association of Accidental Americans in France, to really push back on the French government and on the EU level along with some other people who have been working. For example, Jude Ryan, who has a petition out there with the EU. Um, uh, same situation, Accidental American, um, to really push back on this injustice. Keith, so Keith, there's so many this, different parts. Is, is this a this money situation. grab? Is this just a money grab by the U.S. government? What is their justification for this? Have you seen any, any statements by politicians, or is there some wordage in this law when it was passed what what is their reason for this well, there it sounds, wasn't any sounds like a money grab yeah well there's there wasn't any wording in the law the fatca law because keep in mind the way the u.s practices its taxation has dated back to the civil war however um it has not been applied if you will in a very forceful way over the years and it wasn't until the advent of fatca and modern technology if you will that they're able to capture data i and see so 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 the, so the law technically has been there forever it's just now that they are able to enforce it or that exactly. they've decided that, try to. that they've tried try to. To. Yeah. yeah exactly mm -hmm. and it's created a um it's created a difficult situation i mean the bottom line is is that 
the U.S. is imposing its tax code outside the U.S. on tax residents of other countries, meaning that Americans overseas, accidental Americans, green card holders living overseas, um, have to navigate through two completely different tax systems. Yes, and it's quite uh, it's quite the task. It's quite anno- annoying. Um, for example, just to put my personal situation out there, every year when it's tax season, um, because of you know different deadlines for submitting this, that, and the other, it doesn't match up. Those dates don't match up in Norway and the United States. So I would have to then request an extension on my filing in the United States. Which right. Then and, and you automatically get an extension as an American overseas, but sometimes you have to even request an additional extension. Exactly. I, I, I have to request that additional extension, which then can potentially skyrocket the price that I would have to pay for uh, whoever is going to prepare my taxes for me because I don't, you know, those American taxes are crazy. It's, 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 uh, for me, it's impossible to figure that stuff out. So I have well, to hire impossible. somebody in. I have to hire somebody in, so I would have to hire somebody in to do it. And then here is this enormous cost just because I have chosen to live in a different country. And many people, I I haven't found a single American expat here in Norway who is comfortable (laughs) with this this FATCA situation. Everybody hates it. Everybody is burdened by it. Yeah, and it, it's a burden, but it's an unjust burden. And you talk about uh, paying, you know, tax compliance individuals to be able to navigate between two systems to do one's U.S. tax declaration. Keep in mind, on top of that, is the way the U.S. tax system is structured. It is a it is a separate punitive system for Americans overseas, as compared to, as I like to state, homeland Americans, meaning Americans who live in the United States. So it is a tremendous cost, a tremendous burden. And it is uh, the myth is, is that, well, there's U.S. tax treaties that stop double taxation. That's not true. Uh, It's true to a certain extent, but it has to do more with earned income. There are a lot of situations where Americans overseas are doubly taxed. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the cutoff is, but I know that you can earn up to a or I think you can earn up to a certain amount of money here in Norway before you would actually have to pay taxes in the U.S. In other words, well, yeah, you have it's a to... Well, yeah, foreign earned income exclusion, which I believe, don't quote me on this, but it's about $105,000, $107,000. Something but around that, yeah. Right, but, yeah. There's, but people need to realize that, number one, that's earned income. That's not unearned income, like unemployment, like uh, any type of disability that somebody may get in their country of residence, uh, retirement uh, income that is reinvested in their retirement account. Um, you know, and also it's not tax-free money because you still are taxed on that money in your country of residence. Yes. Oh, it's just, it's, it's such a... It... On the surface of it, without getting into the details, without getting into the meat of that law, it just seems so unfair. Well, keep in mind, uh, again, and I like to reinforce this, is that the FATCA is the law that puts on the front burner the problem of citizenship-based taxation, and FATCA is the law that is the enforcement tool of citizenship-based taxation. 
Now, and so it has opened up Pandora's box. Yes. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Which political party is the one that is driving the enforcement of this law? And, and I, I guess I could also ask, is there any headway? Is there any hope that something can be done with this law to, 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 to relieve expats of that burden? Well, I think, you know, I think there's always hope because even when I just said that, you know, it opens up a Pandora's box, when you take a look at the history of the Pandora's box, the last thing that's left in the box is hope. So there is always hope. Um, as far as which political party is enforcing this, I wouldn't say that there's a political party that is enforcing it per se. I do know that, and just facts, is that FATCA was implemented under the Obama administration. Um, and that is on the books as a result. And uh, I do know that um, that on the Democrat side, um, and in, including Democrats abroad, they still look at FATCA as a good enforcement tool. They want to see it fixed because their claim is that it's catching tax cheats outside the U.S., which is false. That is not the case. It has been a boondoggle. It has cost more to implement than what it has caught. It's like taking a sledgehammer to an anthill and it is decimating Americans overseas and accidental Americans yes, and living yes. a normal life. Now, having said that, you know, we've had on Republicans overseas, they have been very uh, earnestly trying that particular organization to get FATCA repealed. Um, you know, there has been a hearing a few years ago talking about the ravages of FATCA, and we had people who testified there. Unfortunately, nothing has really moved in that regard to get that done. I think it's just, it's a question, uh, it's a difficult question to answer. I think it's a question of education, consistent, persistent education up on Capitol Hill to really hone in on the problems of Americans overseas as it pertains to FATCA. And I think it's also to squash the misconceptions that seems to still be in play, even with a lot of articles that have been put out there, that, that, that Americans overseas are tax cheats. They are sipping champagne on their lots. <laughs> on their yachts, if you will, and probably on their lots because they have a lot of land and so forth, which is not the case. It's not a monolithic population. You know, you have Americans overseas, just like in the U.S., who are on various rungs of the socioeconomic ladder. Yeah. But the bottom line is whether one is rich or one is poor, you pay taxes where you live, not where you don't live. I guess so. I understand uh, for the Americans sitting back home, I understand if they are concerned about, you know, the fat cats, the multimillionaires uh, moving out of the country and then cheating, you know, trying to get. Absolutely. But, but, but it, so, Absolutely. so I understand there should be some level of enforcement. There should be enforcement for that. Well, there's actually but, tools in place right now with the IRS to go after homeland Americans, Americans living in the United States who are hiding money outside the United States so that they don't have to pay tax on that money. Yeah. I don't think anybody argues with going after those individuals. That right. makes complete sense. But to go after someone who is living, let's say, in France, is living there, has accounts in France, who has their life in France, and who is earning their income in France, the U.S. has no right to that money. 
what whatsoever. Do you, what do you know about the number of Americans who are renouncing their American citizenship because of this tax burden? Well, it's uh, and it's not just a tax burden. It's a, it's a number of different factors, but the num the number of Americans who are renouncing has been going up exponentially. I know that the last um, uh, the last uh, figures that came out were quite high in regards to that. I think they just came out about a month ago, and it's just continuing to get bigger and bigger. And the reason, you know, there a lot of these people, and I'm not talking accidental Americans here. That's a little bit of a separate category in regards yes. to renouncing. Yeah. But Americans overseas, generally speaking, they don't want to do this. You know, they are patriotic Americans. They don't want to renounce their citizenship, but they are put into such a situation where they cannot live a normal life in their country of residence because they yes. can't get a bank account, they can't get a, jo a particular job, they can't save for retirement, and they also have the burden of pay filing and paying tax to a system where they don't even live yeah. that they have to renounce. And it's the only country, the only country that puts its citizens in such a category, in such a situation, that they even even have to contemplate giving up their U.S. citizenship, which and, they feel and, is yes. near, near and dear to them. And it's a terrible situation to be in. I, you know, I, I, I've seen it. Um, an American moves from uh, California or wherever, uh, comes here to Norway, and they don't worry about a bank account right away. Maybe they've got access to their bank back home but then eventually they get a job maybe six months down the line they get a job here in norway so now it's time to open a bank account and so they can get their salary put in their bank yes account. <laughs> and then and then boom they find out that they can't open a bank account some people have been able to open a bank account but then uh maybe they're finished uh with the renting uh situation and now they want to buy a home so maybe another year or two or five have gone by and now they're going to buy a home and boom, they find out that they can't because of the, the tax burden, the, fa the FATCA. Uh, well, because situation. of FATCA, FATCA initially, yeah, because yeah. of FATCA. Yes, and it's just, it's such a, it, that's, that's a, that's a shatter, life-shattering situation to be in. It to is. It is a life-shattering situation. And, you know, keep in mind that, you know, again, Americans overseas are not a monolithic population. You used a term or a word that you probably didn't realize before about Americans choosing to live outside the United States. There are Americans outside the United States who have never lived in the United States. Exactly. Because they have had maybe both their parents who are Americans overseas or one parent who is an American overseas. And they did not have the choice of being American. They were born, let's say, in France to American parents. They did not choose that. Yeah. You see what I mean? Right. They did not choose to go, I mean, they did choose to a certain degree, but they went where their career took them, or they went where love took them. They yeah. married somebody in France or in Norway, for example. Well, what do you say to the expats who just ignore the issue and never file taxes while they're living overseas? What do I say to them? I, what, what, what can you say? What can you say about that situation? Is that safe well, to do? Are there, is there any risk? What are the consequences? There's always risk. There's always risk. Not, nobody can say that there is zero risk. However, I think there is a certain amount of scaremongering that occurs in the U.S. tax compliance industry that scare they that scaremongers. Americans overseas and accidental Americans to well, the enter IRS is a or re-enter. The IRS well, the is IRS a dirty is word. A yeah. 
the IRS is a scary thing. However, their teeth can only go so far. And what I tell Americans overseas and accidental Americans is to think first before they do anything, to gather as much information as possible before they make a decision and to do not and do not rely solely on the U.S. tax compliance industry in making the decision. Well, a holistic approach on? needs to be taken. Well, what, what can they what can they rely on then? Because the authority is the IRS. They're the ones that have the, written the law. Yeah, well, no, they, the IRS is the no, the IRS is the enforcer of the law. They did not write the law. Yeah, I'm Congress sorry, I, mean, I misspoke. Yeah, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Uh, but okay. but, but they're right. they're the enforcement arm, and they're they're, they're quite powerful, or at least they they uh, they put the image well, they're of powerful being. powerful to us. They're powerful to a certain degree, but they're not all powerful. For example, in France, the French tax authorities will not go after and will not do the IRS bidding on anyone in France who is a French citizen living in France. They will not do the bidding for the IRS, and that is not unique to France and to other countries as well. And it also has to take a look at, you know, return on investment. Is the IRS really going to go after the uh, minnows who are out there? Uh, Are they going to spend that much money to go after them? No, they're not. They're going to go after the big players and use them as examples yeah, to put I fear would... into the people who are the minnows to enter the U.S. tax system. The bottom line with that is is that if you don't have assets in the United States and no link to the United States, you really have to think through before you enter the U.S. tax system. Because in many instances, by entering the U.S. tax system, it can create more problems How than so? not entering. I'll give you an example. Uh, Sure, I will give you an example. Um, And a most recent example is during this current administration, the Trump administration, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was passed. And within that uh, act, there is a transition tax and a guilty tax, okay, that um, adversely affects Americans overseas who have small to medium-sized businesses. So, for example, those Americans overseas with those businesses who have been U.S. tax compliant, who are in the system, have to adhere to the transition tax, which is a retroactive tax on retained earnings that go back to 1986. Okay? Oh, wow. So, so, which can be ruinous to Americans overseas with these businesses, where they're put in a situation where they may have to close their businesses because they don't have the money or they are just wiped out because of the money that they have to pay to the IRS. Having said that, the people, the Americans who are in that particular situation are the ones who have been tax compliant. The Americans overseas who have small to medium-sized businesses who are not in the U.S. tax system actually breathe a sigh of relief because they never entered the system. I see, yeah. So that's just one clear-cut example, but there are many examples like that. See, and that, uh, once again, that is, a, that is quite a, a limitation that is placed on these people's lives. If you do want to start your own business and you are uh, tax-compliant, uh, because of that aspect of the, of the tax system, that is going to probably keep a lot of people from, from even considering starting their own business. Well, it, 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 that's one aspect of it, but the other aspect of it is every single time 
a policy is put into place or a law is passed that adversely affects Americans overseas or gives them more of a burden in filing taxes actually inhibits people from entering the system because they realize they just can't afford it. They can't keep up with it. It is absolutely impossible. It has just become an untenable situation. So it, 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 you know, as an American overseas, you have to weigh the risk. Sure. And many are willing to take the risk because they have nothing in the United States. They have no assets there. So they just keep moving forward and paying the taxes where they live and just move forward. But a, a lot of people are afraid. They have no assets in the States. They may have been overseas. I know some, some of them have been in Norway for over 15 years. They have no assets in the United States. Um but they're afraid. They're afraid to even go home and visit because they're afraid somebody is going to snatch <laughs> snatch them up at the border when they get off get off the airport. Which is another myth. Which is another myth. That is yeah, not true. But it says but true. it says something about what these laws and these rules and regulations are doing to expats that they would actually fear setting foot in their own country again. Well, it's designed to do that. It's as I like to call it, the American culture of fear is to just put the fear of God in people so that that way they um, just succumb to the enforcement versus taking the time to, as I say, breathe and think through it in a critical manner and think through it pragmatically. What about an expat who has been filing their taxes uh, as they're required to do? Um, or maybe they came in on the amnesty thing. Maybe there were years where they didn't, but now they've come in on the amnesty thing, and now they're caught up, and now they're filing. But then they have a change of heart, or maybe they get frustrated, or, may, or maybe it's just too expensive to, 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 to file their taxes, so they stop. What are they risking when they have become well, tax compliant, and then they stop? What can the IRS well, do? I mean, well, they are in the system, so they are. there already is a record of them in the system. So, yes, the IRS can kind of say, you know, hello, you know, you haven't filed your U.S. taxes this year. It just depends on, uh, it depends on each individual situation. There's no real cookie-cutter approach to it. And it depends on the level of comfortability of risk that the individual wants to take. Oftentimes, I find that people who have entered, you know, under one of the amnesty programs in the U.S. tax system, and move forward, they realize that it's an untenable situation. And guess what they decide to do at the end of the day, reluctantly? They're put in the position where they have to renounce. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, you know, renouncing for Americans overseas is more, I mean, sure, is it a financial decision? Yes, but it's an emotional decision. Oh, absolutely. As well. Absolutely. Um, It's very emotional because it has to do with identity. It has to do with loyalty. It has to do with personal history. Um, That is not an easy thing to do, to renounce. And yet, uh, as you say, and and as I have experienced with people that I know, they're being forced to do it because it's just too expensive to continue to file. Uh, Right. And you get get a lot of people who say, well, just move back home. Well, wait a minute. (laughs) Home is where I live. I live in France. I live in Norway. That's my home. That's where my wife or husband is. That's where my children are. That's where my uh, house is. That's where my job is. So moving back home, and a lot of people, they never lived in the United States, so it's not moving back home. Right. Back to the accidental Americans. Well, for me, as homesick as I get, it's pretty much impossible. Possible, uh, to move back home because as you said you know we everything is here my wife our two kids we have our home right. we have our work 
um, we're too, right. it, it would be too much of a burden to start all over. So that's just not something that can be done. It, it, it's, yeah, just, it, it's just an untenable situation for most expats. It is. And then it makes it even worse because there's hurdles put up at every every aspect, even with renunciation, where it went from costing zero dollars to renounce to $450 to renounce. And then after FATCA was implemented in the different countries, um, they saw a, a tremendous uptick in renunciations. Therefore, they upped the fee to $2,350 yeah. to renounce. And for a lot of people, that is beyond their means to even pay for something like that. Number one. And number two, those who can somehow afford to do it, they're willing to just bite the bullet and do it because they're afraid that it might go up even that much further to be um, able to do. Norway has kind of opened the door for Americans to get dual citizenship. Um, there was a time up until quite recently, I want to say maybe two or three years ago, where you could not have dual citizenship in Norway. You had to decide one or the other. Now they've mm -hmm. opened for dual citizenship, and there's been this mad rush of Americans <clears throat> to get their Norwegian citizenship partially in the hope that that will protect them in some way from their tax responsibilities in the states because again these are not fat cats making millions of dollars a year these are average average folk average middle class or some people slightly under middle class and they're just trying to survive so they're getting that norwegian citizenship in the hope that that will protect them in some way from fat cats I think, yeah, I agree. And I'm not sure about the situation in Norway, but, you know, if Norway is like France, where they will protect their citizens yes. and not do the bidding of the IRS, that's a good thing. I think other uh, another reason that Americans overseas are getting that second citizenship is because they're putting it, and again, put in a position where they have to renounce their U.S. citizenship to live a normal life, which is, you know, which when you think about it is a shame because prior to FATCA, you had millions of informal ambassadors to the United States around the world representing the United States and its values around the world. And then you have both parties in different situations betray its citizens who live outside the United States. So as you can imagine, it puts a very bad taste and American overseas yes. mouths <clears throat> yes. to be able to be a proper informal ambassador yes. and to be able to open up businesses that use American services outside, you know, in the U.S. and they happen to be outside the U.S. So it really is doing an injustice to the U.S. as a whole. It is. Wow. I don't know why they can't see that. <laughs> I mean, it's it seems so clear. It seems so obvious. Yeah, I think it's, you know, this is just my opinion. I know a lot of people, at, 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 you know, agree with me on this and maybe others don't. But my opinion is, is that there's this unusual uh, phenomena in the U.S. that if you are an American and you're living outside the U.S., you must be doing something nefarious. You must be uh, either you are you hate America you're un-American, you're uh, a tax cheat, yeah. you are, you know, a fat cat, rich individual that
that right. has taken all the money and left the United States. All these nefarious things, and it just is driven home uh, with a lot of American journalists, and you get that with American politicians. And, you know, one of the things that I work with other people on is to change that attitude and behavior, to say, hey, guys, no, these are Americans just like Americans in the States. You know, yeah, rich, yeah, poor, and yeah. everything in the in between, and just want to live a normal life in their country of residence. We're just trying and be to be proud Americans to be able yes. to be those informal yeah. ambassadors. You know, and we're just trying to get by, and we're not trying to get away. We're not trying to to shirk our duty as Americans. I, I truly believe that the FATCA thing is an unnecessary burden on expats, and I really wish something could be done with it. Now, let me ask you, Keith, what do you do to actively advocate for this for the subject? Is there any lobby, well, uh, lobbying among the politicians that you do? Is it? Uh, yeah, I mean, there has, you know, I have, you know, over the years have done informal and formal lobbying in regards to uh, advocating for the rights of Americans overseas and actually for accidental Americans as well, whether it be through the auspices of, an, you know, of a particular American overseas organization or on my own. Um, you know, I was I, I worked on organizing with a core group of people with Republicans overseas. The um, the FATCA hearing back in April of 2017 that Mark Meadows put, you know, uh, oversaw to uh, just bring to light the problems of the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act FATCA. Um, I have uh, been interviewed left and right in regards to. Uh, you know, the, the, the burden on uh, Americans overseas and the associated affected populations as it pertains to the way the U.S. taxes outside the United States. Um, I'm currently working with a core group, and we are developing a new organization outside the United States well. to um, lobby the ending of the U.S. imposing its tax code outside the U.S. on tax residents of other countries. And with this core group, we have noticed that there is a white space, and I use that term from my days of being in the pharmaceutical industry, uh-huh. meaning a black space, a blank space, excuse me, that is not being fulfilled. Meaning that there's a number of American overseas organizations out there, and um, you know, individually, they have done some work and some have done some very good work um, in trying to move forward policy, uh, legislation, etc., to help Americans overseas. However, that's not their primary focus. I their see. focus I see. could be in politics, being a Republican or being a Democrat or working on this, but they don't have the primary focus of fully understanding the American emigrants, not immigrants, but emigrants, yep. Yep. and understanding the burden of the way the U.S. taxes. And hence the reason why we are formula- putting together that will soon be launched this new organization, which will include Americans overseas, 
accidental Americans, green card holders living overseas, military veterans living overseas, and the other associated affected populations, including other countries' expats who live in the United States, who have a green card, who have obtained U.S. citizenship, and now want to move back to their country or country of origin and have realized that they've been a bit bamboozled on not yeah. being told yeah. about how the U.S. taxes, and they're put in a very precarious situation. So this organization is all-encompassing of everyone who is adversely affected by U.S. tax policy um, outside the United States. Well, that's a large group, of, a very large and, and, and varied uh, group of people that fall under that umbrella of advocacy. Right. With one common with one common interest for the U.S. to stop imposing yes. its tax code outside the U.S. on tax residents of other countries. That's the thing that brings everyone together. What kind of resistance do you meet in your advocacy for this? Well, I think I explained a little bit of the resistance in regards to the attitude and behavior um, on the but I'm US talking, side, I'm talking you, you personally when you're out and about and you're, and you're oh. speaking on this. Has uh, you know, has anyone gotten in your face and accused you of trying oh, sure. to be a tax cheat? You know what? Well, I've had that. I mean, you have the typical, you know, I, 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 you have the typical responses. Well, just renounce or just pay your taxes. You're blessed to be an American. That's your American duty to pay, pay taxes. You know, it's the whole nine yards in that regard. But there's really no substance behind what's said. It's just, it's just usual trite platitudes that are yes. put out there without any critical thinking behind that. And I get pushback. I am very vocal, and I do have my views on this. And um, I've had pushback you know from democrats abroad i've been blocked on on some of their local chapters uh pages <laughs> i've been blocked by republicans overseas even though i i'm more aligned with republicans overseas when it comes to um overseas uh american overseas issues because i do think they do a lot of good work there it's just unfortunately i've been very vocal about my dislike for uh the current administration so as a result i, I get blocked there so there is resistance because there is more of a priority and not helping Americans overseas, but more of a priority and just digging into each person's respective homeland American ideology. So I for I me, see. I just keep moving forward and keep pushing forward what needs to be done regardless of whether it's on one side or the other. Because at the end of the day, all Americans overseas, regardless of party affiliation or non-affiliation, they're all in the same boat. Right. And all in yes. the same untenable situation. You seem to have quite the passion for this subject. Um, have you ever thought about running for public office? You know, I, I know you're. I know you're in. I know you're in Paris. I know that's your home. But but. You ever consider going back and, and kind of planting your feet there in D.C. or any other place in the States and being more of the permanent Washington lobbyist or running for political office? Well, as far as being uh, someone to really drive home the and represent the rights of Americans overseas across the board, happy to do so. I don't have the personality to run for political office. I, do, I don't like the labels, you know, that you one has to adhere to in running for a political office on either party in the United States. Yeah, because you, know, you mentioned... It's just not my thing. I speak yeah. my mind. 
I'm not someone to spin information. It's right. just not part of my DNA. Do you to feel be like able you're, to do that? Do you feel like you're kind of in no man's land because you you uh, you kind of referred to the fact that you are uh, more aligned to Republicans and yet you don't support the current administration? Does that kind of put you in a a lonely position, if I can use that term. Well, I think, you know, let me just correct one thing that you just said there. I don't, you know, I'm more aligned, you know, I'm more aligned with, let's say, Republicans overseas as it pertains to American overseas issues okay. than I am with Democrats abroad. That is a given. And always happy to work with the Republicans overseas. But I think what's left a bad taste in their mouth is that I've been vocal about my dislike of the current administration and what they have done in other issues. However, there seems to be black and white. You know what I mean? If yes. they're not aligned with us, we're not going to work on these particular yes. issues. Yeah. Otherwise, you have to you have to be in line with this. And that's just not who I am. Right. And that never will be who I am. No. Am I in no man's land? I don't think so, in my opinion, because there are a lot of people who fall into the same category as me. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. there are people out there that maybe feel that they're more, and I'm only speaking in U.S. terms. I'm not speaking outside the U.S., no. meaning there are people, you know, who feel that they're more aligned with Democrat ideology, but they see that Republicans are, you know, uh, Republicans overseas are doing good work and trying to alleviate the problems of Americans overseas or whatever. It's not black or white. The older I get, the more I realize there's a lot of gray area. That's but for sure. That's for sure. Th there's one, and this is my opinion on this one, but there's one mentality that unfortunately is a detriment to Americans overseas. And I'll explain what I mean by that. And I, I call it, and it's a term that's out there, is this homeland, um, uh, homelanders abroad mentality. And what I mean by that are Americans overseas who act like they've never left the United States. So they uh. behave and vote accordingly, meaning they vote as if they are in the United States and not outside the United States. I see, yes. And this particular population is detrimental to advancing any type of... Uh, of uh, improvement for Americans overseas because they're not willing to uh, unite under a common principle of the U.S. ending imposing its tax code outside the U.S. and tax residents of other countries. I understand. And it's, yeah. and it's a major problem. And I find it being more of a problem of Americans overseas who were born and bred in the United States and who live outside the U.S. where it's hard for them to not focus on what's happening in the U.S. with, you know, various issues that affect the U.S., gun yeah. control. Yeah. You know, I could go down the whole list, yeah. okay? Yeah. And my pushback on that is this, is that, look, if you do not stand up for your rights as an American overseas, no one will. Homeland Americans don't care. People up in Capitol Hill are not going to care See, and, until yeah. you unite behind a common principle. See, and that is exactly the impression I get. Um, I look at this whole thing with FATCA as a money grab. It's almost like taxation without representation. I dare, I dare to say that because the, I don't feel that the political world back home is thinking about the effects of laws like that on those of us who are expats. 
No, they don't. And I do realize that sometimes there are some unintended consequences. Sure. And I sure. get that. But sure. when those unintended unintended consequences are acknowledged and addressed, they still don't care. There's still this, and and they don't care that they don't care. If well, I we're not big, we're not big en- we're not a big enough lobby group. We don't have as a whole as, as a whole, whole as hence, a whole. Hence the reason for the 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 advent of this new organization yeah. that's you know slowly but is coming into fruition because well, it is very important to have that. Uh, pretty much singular voice, if you absolutely, will, absolutely. on American overseas issues. Yeah, and I say, and I'll add, regardless of political party, because we are all in the same situation overseas. Exactly. That kind of exactly. touches on what you were saying about how we, a lot of us, ignore the fact that we are no longer in the United States, and we just can't. It's almost like if you left the United States in 1990, you're voting as if you are still there in 1990. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. It's it, it's very unusual because it's unlike another, you know, for example, if you use France, you know, they have uh, uh, delegates around the world that represent French expats in the particular region they live, and they vote as a bloc, oh, you know, meaning that okay. delegate goes back to the National Assembly in Paris, and they vote as a voice of French expats who are in North America or in Asia Pacific. Unfortunately, the U.S. doesn't have a system structured that way. So when we vote, we vote in the various states, yes. but our vote gets diluted amongst all the states and amongst all the districts. So there's no singular voice there yeah. uh, to have proper representation. And it's really hard in, uh, to vote properly because history has shown that every time we vote, regardless of party, pardon my French, no pun intended, but Americans overseas get screwed by both parties. <laughs> yes. And there's no candidates out there who formally acknowledge and understand the plight of Americans overseas. Right. So who do you vote for? Well, you know, and that's why I asked you if you ever had any thoughts about political office, because you are, to my knowledge, the uh, the loudest, uh, most e- effective advocate for uh, for fighting against FATCA that I've seen well, I think, in my time. You know, but there, there are a lot of advocates out there. So I mean, thank you. But there's, you know, I mentioned Fabian Lagra. I mentioned yeah. another gentleman. Uh, there's John Richardson. There is uh, other people who are out there who who really advocate for American overseas issues. So I just happen to be one of many. Um, yeah on that. Some have a little bit more suplex in their messaging than I do. I see. Um, but, you know, we all have a role to play. And sometimes I will be the provocateur to just, you know, push the issue to make as much noise as possible. Right. But well, everybody has their it's own effective. role to play. But that's effective. That's an important role to play. Yeah. yeah. Listen, Keith, we, we, we only have a little bit of time left, but I do want to ask you this. Uh, a couple sure. things. What is it that brought you to Paris? Was it love? Ah, good question. Well, <laughs> I was married to uh, a French woman, but like I said, I'm American and French, so Paris is my home as well. Yes. And so the last stint, uh, the, last, the reason that brought me over the uh, initially was uh, career and love. Okay. Yeah. And, and it, being a part of two countries, it's as much as home as the U.S. is. I see, I see. And you're also a musician. You play piano, correct? I do. Now, I what do. kind are you? Are you a, a concert pianist? Is it is it classical piano? Are you in a, a, a pop or rock band? What what? Uh, 
Well, I, it's not my bread and butter. I studied from the age of four and a half up until about 21. So, oh, And wow. I studied classical piano, as a lot of people do, to get that bass. But then from that point, I played whatever, you know, jazz, blues, old standards, whatever the case may be. So... It's a, it's a, it's, it, music is like the uh, air I breathe. That's part of who I am. And it must be exciting, thinking of the musical thing, uh, living in Paris. Paris is quite the town for jazz. Always, yes, ha- always has is. been. Always has been. It is. And it's interesting because the, you know, the majority of my American expat friends who are in Paris are African-Americans, and they're involved in music and other artistic endeavors and so yeah, forth and go. that's where i that's where my passion is so it's uh i, I welcome being part of those uh, that group of people because we all have a passion for the arts and for music yeah paris was uh, quite the jazz town for uh black american jazz artists who uh, were facing discrimination and weren't, weren't able to play at the venues they wanted to in america they would go to paris people like uh, nina simone uh, Thelonious Monk, uh, Josephine Baker, Josephine Baker, Josephine Baker, who was very famous. Yeah, wow. yeah, no. Paris. There's a rich history um, in uh, in Paris and France when it comes to uh, African Americans. And anyone who wants to uh, learn more about it, there's so much information out there. It's absolutely fascinating. It really is. Well. I just want to thank you for this conversation. This uh, whole thing with FATCA, this whole thing with being uh, taxed um, while living in another country uh, outside of the United States has always been an interesting thing to me. It's been something that just kind of gnaws away and creates, it's, 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 a, it's a constant source of frustration, uh, not only for myself, but for, for just about every other American expat that I know. So it's very interesting and good to get some facts yeah. on, on that situation. And if I may, if you don't mind, I'd like to just give um, a couple contact details if anybody out there has any further questions on this. Um, The first one is is that I founded a Facebook group called American Expatriates a number of years ago, and we're about 7,000 members at the moment. And if you go on to Facebook and type in American Expatriates, you will see the group, and you can certainly join the group um, to learn more and keep up to speed on the goings-on on fighting for the rights of Americans overseas. It's a great and group. Then, it is. Yeah, thank you. And then individually, if somebody has any questions because they're in a tough spot, um, I have a particular email address that is uh, they can send an email to me, and that's yep. U.S. underscore overseas underscore advocate at outlook.com. That's U.S. underscore, underscore overseas, overseas underscore uh, advocate. Advocate at Outlook.com. At Outlook.com. Yeah. Send them a message, folks. Uh, tell them what you got on your mind and uh, see if he can help you out. Let's uh, keep this movement going. I think it's an important movement, and I, for one, really appreciate you uh, throwing your voice out there, Keith. Well, thank you, and I thank you for the invite to uh, speak about it this past hour. Yeah, it took us a little while to make it happen, you know, with the time difference and, and yes. things going on in our lives, <laughs> but, hey, we got it done. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Thank you very much, and uh, take care of yourself, Keith. You too. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thank you, and goodbye.